We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning, everyone. We're going to continue our study in, uh, in word study, and then we'll move to, we were talking this morning, there, there's, some, <clears throat> there's some phrases that's used in the Old Testament that we have words to. And the, when you study the phrases, you'll, you'll find out that the phrases actually mean something different than the word you're looking at uh, in English. So we're going to get into that, but I want to do a, a few more word, just kind of bouncing out and shotgunning it and just throwing different words and idealisms out so that we get, uh, get a flavor for what God's leading us to. Not just word study, but not just phrase study, not just verse study, not just chapter, but just plain study to show thyself approved. What I'm finding out is more and more I'm hearing from different people is that, you know, I read this, so I went ahead and did what you said and looked up these words, and lo and behold, it meant something totally different than what I thought it meant. Because a lot of times, and we'll do the English thing, a lot of times the Bible word and what we think it means in English doesn't mean that at all. Not necessarily every time, but a lot of times. So turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 61 and Luke 4 and 18. They're, they're actually the same verse. Jesus repeated what Isaiah said. What, I asked last week if you had a word or if you thought of, you know, where you wanted to study to contact me, and a couple of people did. And so we're going to kind of throw those out this morning, look at them, kind of look at what they're saying, and uh, hopefully give us a better understanding of the context. And again, I want to stress that if I can, context, context. More than I'll stress word studies, context of the word, making sure that where we're at and what we're reading is it within context uh, of our definition. So Isaiah 61, a lot of you can probably quote this. Isaiah 61 and 1, Luke 4 and 8. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And so we're going to, Scott texted about, uh, he actually texted heart. But then we looked at this particular verse. It says broken hearted. Scott found out something uh, very interesting in the old. What was it you found about? Yeah. Just broken. Broken. So in the English, it went from broken. If we read that again, it said to bind up the broken. We interjected and from English hearted because of the process of meaning. So let's just talk about that. Let's talk about that. So, you know, I'm not a teacher per se, but. I'm going to put brokenhearted, but what does that mean? Brokenhearted. In English, what do you think that means? Don't make fun of my writing. Just You're hurt. Okay, brokenhearted in English. Hurt. Okay. Broken. Relationship. He's going to, sounds to me like perhaps those that are, he's going to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives. Something that, uh, I would say those that are deep in sin. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Right. And the day of vengeance of our God mm -hmm. to comfort all that mourn. 
to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So here he's binding up those who are broken. Okay. And that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that what? That he might be glorified. Not we be glorified in all this stuff, but that he might be glorified right. in our being binded up. Binded the up. him binding us <laughs> up. Fixed. Yeah. So, so if you have a wound, Darren knows how to bind it up. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at it. The Hebrew word for broken is shabar. He, shabar. So this is, this is Hebrew, shabar. That word broken, shabar, it means break into pieces, to burst. So this helps make sense. To bring to birth, to crush, destroy, quench, uh, to hurt. So broken basically means what we think it does. It's like if you break a piece of furniture, uh, you go get Gorilla Glue and you bind it back together with Gorilla Glue, right? You, wherever it's broken, you put that Gorilla Glue on there and stick it back together. So the binding is correct when, when he's binding us up. Uh, and we're going to talk about, if I can today, we'll see if we can get into it, the binding and loosening thing. Again, it's not in my lesson today, but to help further understand what that's talking about. So the Hebrew word for heart is leb, L-E-B. It's actually pronounced lab, but it's L-E-B. Uh, it's the Hebrew again. And so the broken is the break into pieces, crushed, and the heart is the will, the intellect. You know, when we think of heart, what we Boom, 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 boom. We understand that heart in Scripture speaks of the will, the intellect. It's your soul. So you're, we're body, soul, and spirit. Your body because you're physically made out of dirt, your bones, your skin, your, all, all those things. Uh, we're soul because the Bible says that in the beginning, God breathed into man the breath or spirit or pneuma of life. And so to become a soul, the breath of life comes into a body, a physical body. That's how a soul is, is made. Does that make sense? Does that, if it doesn't say, that makes sense. But Adam was a body standing there stand, or laying on his back, whatever he was doing, but he wasn't alive until he wasn't a soul yet, until God breathed in him the breath of life. Then he became a living soul. And so what your heart is in Scripture is your soul. Your soul is who you are. It's not your body, but it's actually who you are inside. And so uh, the Greek word, again, in Luke 4 and 18, Jesus repeats this. He repeats the scripture that Isaiah said. So the Greek word for broken is centribo, S-U-N-T-R-I-B-O. For the sake of time, I'll quit writing. Centribo, S-U-N-T-R-I-B-O. It means completely crushed, shattered, broken into pieces or slivers. The Greek word for heart, and this will sound familiar to you in the Scripture, is cardia. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. But it means your heart, your thoughts, your feelings, your mind. Again, brokenhearted is a shattered soul. It's a broken soul. And so it goes back to kind of what Austin was saying about maybe this is talking about people who are, are, are have a, a deep in sin. So, that's what God binds us together first. He binds up the brokenhearted. By, he binds our sins. Later, we find that he binds up other things in our life. And I don't want to get into binding and loosening too much just yet. But just to understand, the, bro the most used word for heart in the Old Testament is the word lab, L-E-B. You can find it. I just there's several, but it's Psalm 141:4, and again, it's always talking about your intellect, your will. The most used word for heart in the New Testament is the cardio, and that's Romans 10. That if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you know, believing in your heart is believing in your with your soul. That's your mind, your intellect, all of those things. Any you know, th these are simple. This is listen. I'm doing a few simple things because as we go, we're going to get into some much deeper things that what we think is and probably is not, possibly is. So let's use, let's, somebody turn to John 3.16 if you would. John 3.16. Most of you can quote it, but we're going to use a few verses out of this book. 
John 3.16. Anybody want to read that for me? Some, raise your hand and say, I'll read it. So we're going to talk about the word believe. There's a lot of words we can talk about in here, but the, the, there's a, the basis of what, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We've already talked about this verse in the sense that uh, it's attributed that Jesus said this, but when in fact, you know, this is the writing of John about Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth. So the most common Greek word in the New Testament for believe, believeth, believes, and believed is pastino. So believe and the Greek is pastino. And that word is is used for believe, believeth, believed, believes. It's all it means to have faith, to give credit, to entrust, to commit, to put into trust. So what the word believe actually means is it's a committed relationship. Let me back up. The word believe means to have faith. So you got to start there. To, in, to give credit. To entrust. To commit to. Put into trust with. So it really means, to believe means you commit. You become part of a relationship. It's not a mental acknowledgement. That word right here in, in Christianity today it's basically used as a mental acknowledgement. If you go to most Christian churches today, when you ask them what, what does it mean to believe, well, you have to mentally acknowledge that He is the Savior. You have to mentally acknowledge those things. So mental acknowledgement is part of it. I mean, you can't, ment- you can't really have faith in something until you mentally, mentally acknowledge it, but that's not the essence of it. To believe is a relationship. The most widely used word in the Old Testament in Hebrew for this word is aman, A-M-A-N. It means to build up a support, to be firm or faithful, to trust and believe, to be permanent or quiet, to go to the right hand, which means assurance. That Go to the right hand, when you research that phrase in the Old Testament, means assurance or steadfastness. And so in the Old Testament, to believe means basically the same thing in the New Testament. It's a relationship. But when you go into the, this word right here in the English language, if I believe something, what is that, anybody? Now i got to pick that up. Say that again. You believe what they're saying is true. We use to believe what they say is true, but but if you believe what somebody is saying is true, see we mental acknowledge what people say to be true, but if you believe like pistino means, that means you're going to join yourself to what they said. You go correct. You buy into it. You become a part of it. It's now part of your life. And but see, in most Christian churches today, believe is just a simple acknowledgement of what you said without any buy-in. Yeah, he that commit to him shall be saved. Jason's bouncing around the. Yeah, yeah, because the commitment deal is too much for me. Satan believes in Jesus. Yeah. I know lots of people that believe Jesus lived, but they're not committed to him. Right. And that's a huge difference. Yeah. Run, Jason, run. Do I trust the person that's speaking, or do I trust the word that I'm reading, and do I trust it as truth, or do do I trust it as opinion? And sometimes 
our trust is based upon what we know about the that person's character. Right. So what does the word trust mean? I trust you. Faith, having faith in whatever you're trusting. Okay, what is faith? I mean, that's a, I'm going to take you down the road, so what is faith? Faith is the substance of things. Go ahead. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if I trust you, I believe in the things that I'm hoping for, and there's evidence of the things not seen. Absolutely. Trust. So there again, we get back to a relationship, an activity, if you will. And so to believe in Jesus is an activity. It's not a mindset. It's an activity. It's not a mindset. See, in Christianity today, belief is a mindset. It's a mental acknowledgement. When in fact, it's supposed to be an activity. <laughs> you felt sorry for him, didn't you? You go. <laughs> so then it's going to be like, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Not that my works makes me special, but right. if I really believe and trust and right. I'm committed, you're going to see that in what I do. Right. Works. So your works is your activity. Your activity. Faith without activity is dead. So the word believe means that if you're not actively living for Jesus Christ, you don't really believe in him. You've just had acknowledged him. You've just had acknowledged him. If you're actively living for Jesus Christ, now you believe in him. Is that okay? Some, boy, y'all getting quiet. Okay. I'll move on from that because I can tell you I'm a little nervous. John 3, 17. Who will read verse 17? Jesse's got the mic. John 3, 17. It's up on, there it is, up on the... All right, so let's look at that word condemn. Condemn. So what do you think? I'm not using that red one. Though. What do you think condemn means? Pass judgment on guilty. Guilty? guilty judgment. Judgment of the guilty? There it is. Going, I almost write go to, but that, <laughs> that would have not went over too well. Um, the, Condemn. I want to say bind up, but in the sense of shackle, chain up, like. Okay, condemn. chain, chain up. Condemn. When you condemn something. Uh, a politician says, I believe that we ought to open all borders to everybody. If anybody wants to come, with them, and you want to condemn what they said, what do you do? Cast down. Huh? Cast down or want to go against it. Cast doubt against it. Yeah. Condemn a building. What do you do? That means it's no longer usable for its original purpose. Okay. It's not inhabitable. Right. Cannot be used. Okay. Condemn. Unredeemable. If you condemn a building, is it unredeemable? It must be destroyed. A condemned building? Well, you can condemn a building, and you can spend a lot of money, and you can get that back into habitable use. For instance... Asbestos? Yeah. So, so when something's condemned, you, it's not necessarily that you, it can never be used again. It simply means that when it's condemned, it either has to be destroyed or it has to be brought back to standard, then used again. It's, that's our English. We're talking English here. All right, so the Greek word in the New Testament for condemn is krino, K-R-I-N-O. K-R-I-N-O. It means to distinguish, to decide, to try, to punish, to avenge, to judge, 
to take to law, to question or sentence, condemn. So he came not into the world to punish the world. He didn't come to avenge. He didn't come to take to law. He didn't come to question. He didn't come to distinguish. Jesus didn't come for that reason, to condemn. He didn't come to do away with, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? The most, say again. Blue letter Bible. When you use the blue letter Bible, that word crino, K-R-I-N-O, that you specifically said, it's only used or translated into condemn five times. Okay. So all those other definitions, it's used, and some of it's just used more than condemn. But when you really, I was just saying that because when you really look at the Blue Letter Bible and you open it up and you're like, okay, we're using this word condemn and we're using our definition, but it's only used five times and it's used a lot more with other words. Yeah. That's why, you know, just it's huge that you really dive deep into the word because what we think it may be, it's only used a couple times and then our definitions are kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah, again, our definitions are a little bit washy. They're a little bit diluted. The most commonly used word for condemn in the Old Testament is rasha, R-A-S-H-A. It means to declare wrong, to violate. To declare wrong or to violate. So, uh, you know, when we read condemn a lot, of, you know, a lot of times we kind of want to skip over that word, don't we? It's not a good word. And because we feel the problem, it's going to be part of my sermon. One of the problems with condemnation or being condemned is we feel guilt. But Jesus came not to bring guilt to us. He didn't come to expose our guilt. You know, a lot of people, well, you know, I've got to confess my sins to the Lord, but that's you and Him. He doesn't come to expose your sin to everybody else. That's why we don't have everybody get up. You know, there are churches that do this, actual churches that do this. They have people get up before service starts and everybody walks across the stage and tells their sin they did this week so they can be forgiven. How would you like that one? We used to have confession services back at the North Plains. Confession service? Yeah, it was a special night. It was designed for confession. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't tell everything I thought. Yeah. That's the night I missed because that ain't happening. <laughs> I always waited to see what the preacher's kids confessed before yeah. I said anything. Yeah, the pastor should start first. <laughs> Here's the thing. If you've gone to God with it already, it doesn't exist. Why would you be confessing it to others? But that condemnation brings that into our life. But there is therefore now no to them that are in Christ Jesus. We're not condemned. So just remember this. When you read condemned, it's, it's actually a positive thing. Jesus didn't come to do it. He didn't come to do it. So when you read condemn, it's all, it's all, you know, I cringe sometimes I'll read that word because like, yeah, because you know what? I'll be the first one that can be condemned. But because he didn't come to do it, I'm not condemned. So I believe that um, if he wishes but that the world through him might be saved, can you look up saved? Yeah, we did save last week, didn't we? Because that's not talking about heaven or hell. That's Correct. That's, ca- that's like... Again, it goes back to saved. He, he didn't come to show your guilt, but he came to free you from it. And so that word saved doesn't mean my cabin in the holy place in heaven. That word saved doesn't mean that I'm, you know, I, I'm good to go. I'm locked in. Uh, no matter what, I'm, it, it simply means now I'm freed. When you look up that word saved there, if you, I, I don't know if you, if you looked up that word saved, is, is there? Okay. I, I can barely see it, so. Sozo, right, sozo. So, you know, when you look at to, sa- to keep safe, to rescue from danger, destruction, to save from suffering, all of those things don't talk about uh, spiritual born again. Sorry, Pastor. Other words that you already use, make whole, it's the sozo is used as make whole, make whole. heal, be whole. Um, so that word sozo is used throughout the Bible as those words also. So I didn't, Jesus didn't come to show our guilt. He came to heal us, to make us whole from it. So, so now that, that scripture takes on a whole different meaning. 
than what we see in Christendom. It takes on a whole different meaning. So verse 18 of John 3. Okay. says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. We walk in dark. The word darkness there, you take that word, you take that word darkness in the Greek, you go all the way back to the beginning in Hebrew in, Re- in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Darkness was on the face of the deep. That does not mean there wasn't any light illumination. What it means, the word darkness there in the Hebrew, it's evil. Now, it says non-illumination in the sense of evil. So in the beginning when the earth was created, evil was on the face of the earth. And God said, let there be light. That word light is the goodness of the grace of God. Because light didn't happen until the fourth day of creation sun, moon, and stars. That was the fourth day of creation. So he wasn't speaking of illuminating light in the beginning when the earth was here. He was speaking evil and good, evil and good. So, so it's the same thing with the condemnation thing, understanding that if, if we don't actively involve ourselves, believe in Jesus Christ, we're condemned already. In other words, we're guilty already. We've been assigned guilt already. So see how it changes the whole structure of what we're and read that in the context who was he talking to here well we know he was talking to us but who was the conversation he was having with nicodemus Nicodemus, the ruler a ruler of the jews who asked him nothing about being born again asked him nothing about saving he asked nothing he came bragging on jesus we know that you're somebody those things you're doing nobody can do that unless you know so now when you read in that John 3, and you read with this understanding, it changes the idealism in Christianity about what John 3 is really about. But we here's the thing. We grow up, and we're taught things. So, so in 1940, a person was taught how to build a car, but he was taught wrong. And so he teaches his son how to build a car, who now builds the car wrong, who teaches his son how to build a car but the car still built wrong. Who teaches his son? So here's what you have over Christianity. People that have taught wrong in the beginning have passed on being taught wrong and being taught wrong and being taught wrong. That's why God's taking his church and challenging us to, to get into the word because some of what we've been taught is just wrong. That's hurtful. Nobody likes to hear that. You know, when I'm reading and studying, there's things that I'm, I'm realizing and discovering that I was just taught wrong in the group that I came from in the group that I came from second time, and in the group I'm in now. There's just some wrong teaching. And God's not trying to show our guilt in wrong teaching. He's trying to free us from it. When He frees us from it, we have truth. It changes the dynamic of what's being said. And it frees you. It looses you. We're going to talk. If I can get to that, I'll try. Okay, John 3 and 3. I'm staying in John just to make it easy. John 3 and 3. You want me to read it? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, born again. When Jesus said, you've got to be born again. The word born in the Greek here is genoa, G-E-N-N-A-O. It means to procreate, to regenerate, to beget, to bring forth, to conceive. So Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be procreated, regenerated, begotten, brought forth or conceived, but there's a second part of born again. The Greek word for again is A-N-O-T-H-E-N, anathen. It means from above, from the first anew. So you must be procreated, you must be regenerated from above anew. That's, That's what the born again means. So... Matthew 24 and 14 and Luke 23 and 35 has that, that, those words in it and 1 Peter 2 and 4. Mark 23 and 20, John 15 and 16 has those words in it. What words? We're going to move from born again to chosen. Born again is easy, right? Anybody have any questions about born again? I want to move to the word chosen. 
again means from above, from the first anew. So you've got to be regenerated, procreated. You, you understand why Nicodemus had a little bit of problem. When Jesus said you must be born, wait, 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 I've already been procreated. That's what he was telling Jesus. I, how am I going to be back and be procreated again? And Jesus said, hold on a second. Hold on. You've got to be procreated from above. A new. It's got to be a fresh. It's not. So you understand why he had a little bit of an issue. But then as Jesus began to explain it, and you read Matthew, or John chapter 3, he begins to explain that process, what that really means, being born of water and of the Spirit. And so that's what John 3, the, the whole, again, context. What is the context of John 3? Say again. It's talking to Nicodemus. And what's the context of it? The context of it is being born again, getting into the kingdom, and how you do that. And what happens when you do. Jesus explains what it takes what it means, what it takes, and what happens when you do. That's what the context of John 3 is. But the context that we think of English in John chapter 3, when we read it, if we think in the English terms, is we, we just talk about, you know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Well, understanding that uh, the reason Jesus did not say this is because Jesus was still alive. He would not have said this. He had not yet been given. We're, Translated from the first or from the beginning. So with that, I'm just thinking outside the box here, and I could be completely wrong. But so you must be born from the first. You must be born from God or from Jesus, or yeah. is that? Could you take it as that way also? So the first. So who's the first? Look up first. Who's the first? I mean, the more you dig into this, yes, the more you dig into this, you find that your, your born-again experience has to come from Jesus was crucified from the foundations. Before the foundations of the world, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, He is the Savior. He is the one that we're born again through. He was the first. The Bible says He's the first from the dead. He's the first of the resurrection. He's the first. He's the first. He's the first. So, yes. It's the same thing. It's a reference to Jesus himself. He's the first and the last. He's the first and the last, yes. So let's look at chosen real quick. I know I'm hurrying a little bit. If I'm hurrying too much, I'll just tell me. Matthew 22 and 14. Maybe it'll be easier if I read these because you find two different words here for chosen. The same word you find in Scripture when it talks about the elect. The word chosen and the elect is the same Greek word. When it talks in the Scripture about those of the elect, if you know, for the elect's sake, he shortened time, all of the, the elect, it's the same Greek word. Matthew twenty two fourteen. I'll just, yeah, twenty two fourteen. Oh, you got it? For many are called, few are chosen. I'm going to skip the other two because they mean the same word. Mark 23 and 20. Can you flip that up for me? Mark 23 and 20. Yeah, Mark 23 and 20. Chosen. What do you think of in, in the uh, English when you think of Chosen. Handpicked. Oh, I must have written down the John fifteen sixteen. Make that easier. Yeah. So, what, when you think of the English word "chosen," what do you think of? Handpicked, selected. Okay, so. John 15, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you, and ordain you that you should be, go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask, and, and here's another, whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And we take the latter part of that, and we say, okay, whatever I ask in the name of the Father, God's going to give me, understanding it's connected in this verse. 
It's connected to the fact that you haven't chosen me and I've chosen you so that you would bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. So whatever you're asking of the Father has to do with your chosen and it's about your fruit. Does that make sense? I'm getting into a verse study here, not only, but just that, that's, a, that's a very misquoted scripture because most people will only quote the last end of the scripture. But the word chosen there is a little different word than the other word chosen. So the Greek word for the first one we looked at, Matthew 22, 14, ectelectos, it means select or your favorite. The Greek word in John 15 and 16 is eklogomia. It means to make a choice or to choose. And so in this one, Jesus said, you haven't made the, here's the deal. I accepted the Lord. I chose the Lord. No, no. No, it's not in the principle of Scripture. He said, go, go, read John chapter 15, and you'll, this will make a lot of sense to you now. I haven't selected him. I haven't chosen him. He's not my favorite. Jesus said, I chose you. I selected you. You're my favorite. Now, this makes a whole lot of difference between you selecting your favorite and him selecting his favorite. There's a big, big difference here. Jesus said, I've selected you because... You're my favorite. Well, how did I become his favorite? Many are called, but few are. That word is a little different word. That word actually has a, 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 uh, the connotation of being chosen, not making the choosing. Does that make sense? Being chosen, not making the choosing. The favorite. This particular John 15 and 16 does not really have anything to do with being the favorite. It has to do with what he did, and that he chose you. He chose you because many are called, few are chosen. Here's the deal. All men are called into repentance. He only chooses who or whom, should I say. If he calls every man to repentance, and he does, then whom do, who does he choose? How is that selection made? Say again. Those who want to be saved. Those who answer the call. You've got to answer the call. Just because everybody's called doesn't mean everybody's saved, right? You've got to make the selection. Then now you've got to choose to answer the call. You're not choosing him. You're answering his call. And that's what he's saying here. You, you, you haven't chosen me. I've chosen you. And I've chosen you because you've answered the call to my calling. That. Does that make sense? Okay. Right. Right. He knocks, knocks, knocks. He waits for you to turn the handle and open it. He chooses himself when he sees him in you. Is that? He chooses. He chooses you when he calls you and you res, you respond to the call. See, he's, there's the drunk out there right now that's not really care about God right now, but God is calling him. Right. But he hasn't answered the call, so God hasn't chosen him. The easiest way to do this is this. God goes to every door of every heart, every heart. It's only the person that goes, opens it, and says, yes, come on in. Does that make more sense? That's answering the call. Does that answer the question yeah, it's not that we become like him. It's that he chose us not because we're like him. Because I can tell you, Jesus didn't choose me because I was like him. I was directly opposite of him. He chose me because I answered the call. I answered the call. So, one that Judy uh, wrote us about that I wanted, Matthew 24 and 28. Because there's a translation, there are different translations of people that talk about and just real quick, Jesus is talking about here his second coming. In Matthew chapter 20, 24, verse 28, he's talking about his second coming. One of the biggest problems you find in Matthew is there Jesus talks about what's going to happen to Israel and the fact that they're going to be overrun, outcast, and done away with. And then later on, Jesus talks about his second coming. Do you understand what the second coming is? Let's, let's quickly, the second coming. The second coming is not the rapture, correct. 
Because Jesus' second coming is when he plants his feet back on the earth again. At the rapture, we meet him in the air. He doesn't come back to the planet. We meet him in the air. So when you read this verse and you read the context of the, here, you're, he's talking about when he comes back. Uh, just really quick. For whosoever the carcass, so wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall be all the tribes of the earth. And he begins to describe what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. Does that so far make sense? Okay, so what I want to talk about here is carcass and eagles. Carcass and eagles. So uh, just really quick, the Greek word for carcass, P-T-O-M-A, it's a ruin, the first definition is ruin what do you think of i should back up what do you think of carcass in english dead, dead body. body yeah well the first definition is ruin then it's it's uh, goes on to lifeless body a corpse so the greek word for eagles here is a e t o s the definition is is it's an eagle from its wing-like flight and you're going to find something interesting, soaring as an eagle. So the word eagle here, doesn't he's not defining a particular type of bird, but he's describing an event that the bird does. Or, you know, he soars as the eagle. That, the, that's what, if this was written down in the Greek, it would say soaring as an eagle. It wouldn't just say eagle. But understand when it was translated over, it was just translated as eagle. Now, th th this makes a difference. It's from the same Greek word, A-E-R, which means to breathe unconsciously, to blow air. It's the same word. Sometimes we mistake eagle in Scripture for vulture. For vulture. What's a vulture? A buzzard. Yeah, it's the best way. They eat on the dead carcass, right? And the reason we mistake this eagle here for vulture is because of carcass, the word carcass in front of it. And that's why it's mistaken there. But in no terms, matter of fact, when you look up the word vulture in the Bible, it's, it's three times in, in, the, in the Hebrew. The first one is A-Y-A-H, which means a screamer or a hawk. The second one is D-A-A-H in the Hebrew. It's a kite. A kite is a bird of prey from its rapid winged flight. The third word is D-A-Y-A-H. It's a falcon, and it's in the sense of from its rapid bird flight. And so understand that the premise of this, for whosoever the carcass or the ruin is, there will be the rapid flight as in a bird. So the ruin is going to be fast. Now that totally changes what we just read, doesn't it? When we think of carcass in the English and we think of eagle in the English, we totally, but that word eagle there is talking about the fast move of a bird via its flight, like a, not a vulture, but like a bird of prey, a kite, or whatever, a hawk, they all, a screamer. And so now when he's talking about the ruin that's going to happen, the ruin is going to happen as fast. You ever seen an eagle fly? You ever seen a hawk dive? It's going to happen fast. That's what the scripture actually means. But when, when we don't read the context of the end time, what we're looking at here is, okay, this is talking about at the, at, at, in Revelation where the, the, the blood's going to be up to the bridles and the vultures are going to come. It's not even the same word. I think you mentioned this last week, and this is where it's real important that we we do our research because sometimes even the Strong's has agendas, if that makes sense. Right. So when you read, you know, the one of the potential definitions, it does say, um, since eagles do not usually go in quest or kerosene, this may be a vulture. Right. Um, but then as you scroll down and it says the Strong, the, the actual definition is from wind-like flight, as you were just saying. Right. So it's... You can't just always assume and take one of the first things you read as that's right. what it is. You got to make sure, like you said last week, we completely continue to dig in and dig into it. If that we we know the Greek word eagle, right. 
and, and you know that it can be translated over in vulture, but when you look in the word vulture, what you find is it's referring again to the fast-winged flight. real technologically challenged, but I did find in the Blue Letter Bible that the word carcass meant anything from which life and power is gone, okay? Yeah. So then also, if the life and power is gone, then there's rapid flight. Mm -hmm. But it also means judgment. I saw the word judgment. Judgment, yep. It can mean judgment. It can mean judgment. So, so... in the context of what Jesus is talking about, his return, the second coming, he says, here's the context of it, unless you use your definitions. There's going to be ruin, there's going to be judgment, and it's going to happen very fast. It's that simple. That simple. So it's 1031, really quick. I don't want to go belabor it. We talked about binding and loosening before, and I know that does upset some people because all of us, all of us, if we've been in any type of Pentecostalism, apostolicism, whatever, have been taught that that's Jesus binds the devils and looses this, or we bind this and loose that. Binding and loosening goes all the way back to the Old Testament, and it's when someone had the authority and the ability to either release you from what was owed, or you had to retain what was owed and pay it. Does that make sense? Back to the old law. Okay. So when we read about binding and loosening in our lesson, we were talking about forgiveness, remember? He's talking about forgiveness. So it's the same thing. You can either release the forgiveness or you can hold that against them all their life. Later on, Jesus talks about, you know, we're talking about binding and loosening. When he said, who, he's speaking to the disciples, Whom, whomsoever sins you remit, they shall be remitted. Whoever sins they shall re- retain. No human other than Jesus had the power to remit or retain sins. You understand what he's doing here. He's talking about binding and loosening. If you, what, how, how are sins remitted? Through the baptism in Jesus' name. Correct. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Mark read it, you know, preach repentance and remission of sins. How is that remission? So whoever sins you remit, or in other words, whoever you baptize, their sins are washed. Whoever sins you retain, they're not baptized. They, they'll, hold, they'll, still be, they'll still be guilty of their sins. So binding and loosening is, is, is not about... Jesus never bound devils. Jesus just got rid of them. He didn't perform an exorcism. He didn't sprinkle the water. He just got, yeah, hey, who are you? What was your, yeah, oh, by the way, uh, well, he didn't even ask the question. They volunteered the information. That's the thing about a devil. If you're born again, you got the Holy Ghost, and you won't get, they know what's about to happen here. They're going to volunteer information. Why is that? They just want to get, get you off track. Uh, we're legion for we, me or many. Well, you know what time to go out. Well, listen, since you know who we are, can we go on those pigs? They, deceptive angels of evil. And so understand, we don't, we, a lot of times we use things in Scripture because we've been taught, Grandma taught, Mama taught me. But Grandma didn't really know. So what Grandma taught Mama wasn't really true. Not that Grandma was being deceitful. She didn't know. So now mama doesn't know, so no, I don't know. And that's why God's challenging us. He wants us to go back and get the truth. Now, I'm not saying, listen, y'all don't get scared. I'm not saying everything we've been taught has not been truth. What I'm saying is there are some things. One of the things I'm going to talk about next week, we talked about back here, there are some phrasisms because we're going to start with phrases next week. There's phrasisms in, in, our, in Christian movement. I'm just going to plead the blood as a phrasism in our movement. It has no biblical principle. It has no biblical principle. Plead the blood. And yet many of us have pled. The, what is the purpose? Look up what the purpose of the blood is in Scripture, and next week we're going to talk about it. Because we use phrases that Grandma said or Pastor so-and-so said, and we like that. It sounded good. The problem is there's no scriptural basis to it. Look up plead. Find out what plead means. Find out the purpose of the blood. I'm going to throw another one at you because this, we need to talk about this. God is bringing us to a place of understanding. I prayed John through to the Holy Ghost. Praying through to the Holy Ghost. Find that in Scripture for me. 
praying somebody through to the Holy Ghost. Let's talk about that next week because that's used in Pentecostalism, apostolic, the non-denominal group. It's used a lot. We prayed 12 people through to the Holy Ghost at the revival. Uh, Now, listen, I'm going to challenge you next week because I'm going to ask you what you found. So I I need you to go look this week. Spend your Bible study time, those two things, pleading the blood, praying somebody through. I know this is disturbing to us. It's like, oh, I can't believe this. I've done this all my life. That's why the Lord is. Anybody? Jesse. Back to the pigs. Pigs. Back to the pigs. The pigs died. They drowned in the water. It says they choked. Yeah. You, can, uh, you know, I guess you could go into the Greek and figure out what choke means, but. To me, their bodies, their lungs filled up with water, and they deceased. The demons, the legion, found another place to live, right. to inhabit. They didn't die. They didn't die. Yeah. The demon in Hitler didn't die. Nope. Mussolini, nope. Stalin. Still here. All of those guys. Still here. They just found a different body. Yeah. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he's walking through dry places, seeking a place to rest and find none. He goes back there and finds it empty, clean, and garnished. Yeah. I'm not saying that Hitler was clean and garnished, but, <laughs> you know, they're looking for a, a body. To inhabit, yep. To, to inhabit. Yep. So I think that's something for us to remember whenever we think that stuff in politics, stuff in or around us, evil, murders, uh, child abuse, and all these things, that just don't happen because of human nature. Right. They're influenced by unclean. It's been around a long time. And I'll end with this about the pigs, and we've got to stop. Jesus baptized the pigs, and the devils came out. (laughs) More next week. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.